Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely. With me, as always, is my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. It is Friday, September 9th, and today we're going to talk about the potential for a Twitter sale, and then we're going to catch up with activist investor Bill Ackman and some drama with a new activist investment in Chipotle. Uh, So, Chris... Twitter. Twitter stock has been kind of the plaything of rumors this year, and we're not the first to notice this, but its uh, its stock has averaged a daily move of 5% roughly once per week this year, and that's just an insane number. You know, if you thought about the S&P 500, if each week it went up or down by 5%, no one would own, or I'd own stocks, but a lot of people would be out of the stock market. Uh, and the moves have mainly been fueled by the rumor that the company is going to get acquired and, you know, everybody gets really excited about an acquirer. Is Google going to buy them? Is Facebook going to buy them? And then a week later, the reporters report on and say, no, Google's not about to buy Twitter. And the stock drops. But then people start saying, oh, an activist is going to get in and force them to sell. So the stock starts rising. And repeat the cycle, repeat the cycle, repeat the cycle. Uh, there was a big board meeting yesterday that CNBC reported uh, one of the big topics at the board meeting was – We haven't received any inbound offers yet, but clearly we need to consider what we're doing. Uh, They were debating, should we put up, should we do a sales process? Should we sell some non-core assets? Uh, Like Vine is one of their big non-core assets. So they're really wondering what to do and talking about the future of the company. So I'm going to turn it over to you. I have talked a lot. What makes Twitter such an attractive takeover target and how do you think this is going to play out? When we look at deal targets, one of the first things I'm always interested in is, does the whole premise start by inbound interest or outbound interest? Mm-hmm. Are we talking about a bid or an ask here? And this is one where I think that a lot of the conversation has really been establishing the ask side of the conversation. And the second thing I always look at is uh, when I look at what sometimes derisively is called as rumor trage, and this is certainly a rumor trage situation, point. is that... Um, I talk to a lot of people, and if you have a situation that's really coming from the world of bankers and lawyers and people who are working on deals, and then it kind of emanates out from there to Wall Street and people who think about stocks kind of later on, that's high-quality potential data. When you look at things that seem to kind of come out of the world of people who are trading around the stocks, it's something that I have a lot more skepticism of. I've historically, for most of Twitter's life as a public company, had a lot of skepticism, including how they IPO'd and why. Uh, but why might it actually all be true? So so something that I look at with a jaundice eye, I would say that Twitter is a tool, it's not a company, and it could, as a tool, be much more valuable to a larger company in terms of the data and connectivity than for-profit trying to squeeze advertising out of this directly. All great points. You know, and A, I want to dive in on the rumor trage. I think we've mentioned it so many times on this podcast. It's a great point. When people who own and trade the stocks are the ones who are putting out the rumors that, oh, this might get bought, in general, it's because they've got a position and they want it to go up. And when you hear, you know, CNBC saying four major shareholders are saying they hear the company might get bought, generally bad rumor. When you hear them saying, I talked to some bankers and there are books out and the company shopping itself. Good rumor. So I, I just I think that's a great point. And on your thing as Twitter as a tool, not a company, it's another great point. You know, Twitter has a very attractive asset. A lot of people use it. Uh, the people who use it the most are the people who are most heavily invested in it. And the people who use it a lot, Twitter captures tons and tons of data on it. It knows what you like, who you follow, who your friends are, who you're talking to. Uh, but you know. 
having all that data, Twitter hasn't been able to turn it into a product into a product that scales. Their growth has slowed. Facebook newsfeed is a great competitor for them. And you know, Twitter, you need great engineers to build out the Twitter product. And Twitter's competing with Google and Facebook to pay those engineers. Those Google and Facebook make a ton of money. They can pay their engineers a lot. To have good engineers, Twitter needs to pay them a lot. And Twitter hasn't reached scale, so it can't really afford them. It's in a catch-22. Go ahead. Allegorically, I hear uh, people who are kind of top, uh, kind of A-level talent looking at Silicon Valley opportunities, uh, giving Twitter some discount, even with equal comp packages. Or you could say Twitter would have to pay them a premium to compete with Facebook and Google among the people who can go anywhere. Yep. And I think that that's such an interesting and novel new topic for me. I generally, when I look at companies, I love cost savings. And we were talking about this this past week, how I typically look at you save costs on a business. You can put a multiple on. It's almost always a good thing. It's kind of not giving free lunches to your employees is a free lunch for investors. But here it's such a different environment where the high quality uh, engineers their brain power is so scalable that you really need to be super indulgent to talent. And a problem for Twitter right now is it is slightly less attractive based on the very, very uh, high standards for it's attractive for the top talent. The, the, what I said was the analogy is the best steel maker, you know, the difference between the best steel maker and the second best steel maker, it might be one bar of steel per hour. It, it's not really worth paying much for that when you look at the profit it makes. But the difference between the best engineer and the second best engineer if it's the difference between a Google and a Yahoo, that's $300 billion worth of value. So you can afford to pay for an extra launch or their dry cleaning or whatever. Uh, I think when people look at Twitter now, what they're really seeing is they're hoping for something like LinkedIn earlier this year where uh, LinkedIn, it, it had a lot of potential, but it wasn't really monetizing that well. Its growth slowed. Its stock dropped a lot. And then a lot of strategic buyers, Microsoft and Salesforce, came in and said, hey, if we get access to all that data, we can really monetize it really well. And they ended up paying a pretty big premium for it. I think that's your hope if you're Twitter. Go ahead. You know, I, um, as we'll mention in disclosures, uh, disclosures, I'm not an investor in this. And one of my problems I have looking at it is I always like situations where I'm stuck between a liquidity event and profit or a value investment that I'm perfectly happy to own where I'm the right person to own this. And I just look at Twitter and I actually, if I was going to gamble, if I got do-overs in this business, I would say confidently, if I was a soothsayer instead of an investor, my soothsaying would be it gets bought for a nice premium from here. My investor hat says the alternative is not one that I'm comfortable that I'm the right person to be able to value, understand, and own it for the long term. I always like being stuck between one of those two options, not gambling that I'm right. I I agree with everything you're saying. If if you put a gun to my head, I would say I think this is going to get sold in the next year or two. I think it'll get sold for a premium from here. But if it didn't get sold, I wouldn't know what to do with it because I'd be worried about the monetization. Uh, we'll do future highlight videos of this, and we'll just emphasize the part of we'll, that. We'll that just works. cut it out, and we'll make it seem like we're uh, completely clairvoyant. I'll just tell you how I think this plays out. I think uh, Jack Dorsey, he just came back as CEO a couple months ago. I think the board will give him a couple quarters to try and turn it around. If he doesn't, I think the board will sell him either because the board will fire him and look to sell either because they want to or an activist jumps in. 
I think a lot of people would be interested. Microsoft, kind of interesting. Bing, LinkedIn, and Xbox would all be interesting tie-ins with Twitter. But I think Microsoft's moving more B2B, so maybe not there. Salesforce missed out on LinkedIn. I think Salesforce could look to buy Twitter, and there'd be interesting synergies there. But I think the end game is probably Verizon buys them and combines them with Yahoo and AOL and makes kind of like a third-rate Google-Facebook play. I think that's probably the end game. And Verizon has shown an appetite to buy these kind of failed tech products. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I think Verizon makes sense. Uh, just back to Microsoft for a second, it would be kind of back to the Twitter as a tool, not a company, uh, to have it integrated in with Xbox. Have yeah, it, exactly. You know, have it the kind of side communication tool for gaming fits very well. With uh, email, for, they've got Outlook. Bing is, you know, obviously losing to Google, but they could integrate Twitter into Bing to improve search. I think I think it's just interesting. You want last word or you want to move on to Chipotle? I have nothing to add. Okay, so let's go to Chipotle. Uh, we, you know, we did a pretty comprehensive overview of Chipotle in our July 22nd podcast. Is Chipotle recovering from food poisoning? It appears activist Bill Ackman thinks they are recovering because he's acquired about 9.9% of the company. Uh, you know, Ackman, we've talked about him a lot on this podcast too. He's had a rough year coming off uh, his investment against Herbalife is not playing out as he expected it. And his investment in Valiant is down 80, 90% over the past year. So this is an important investment for him to get a win and recover his reputation. Uh, humorously, a lot of Ackman's stories involving Valiant involved him getting Chipotle burritos, which I just love. Uh, so he clearly knows and likes the product. In, in the movie, you can picture him stewing over Valiant, kind of biting into this burrito, and then and looking down at it, and the light bulb goes off, yeah. and he thinks, wait a second. Yep, so, uh, you know, rough year for Ackman, rough year for Chipotle. They've had the food safety scandal. Customers have left and drove. The stock's down 40%. You can listen to the July 22nd podcast uh, if you want some more background. But Chris... What do you think Ackman's going to push for here, and how do you think this plays out? Activism is a blunt tool. It's a baseball bat, not a scalpel. And a good activism play is the kind of thing that you can yell over your shoulder at your kids in the back seat of a car, you know, you know cut it out or I'm pulling over. And cut, uh, cut it out or I'm pulling over. Stop or, paying yourself so much or I'll pull this car over. Or sell, you yeah. know. Or, you know, one of our one of our presidential candidates is famous for all of his ideas are kind of Twitter, tweet length, one or two syllable words. And that level of sophistication is actually good for activism. If the problems that need to be solved are more subtle than that, yeah. the people who are hired to be operators probably are on top of, or the right operator would be on top of the kind of minutia necessary for operating a business. An asset allocator, when things get so off course that an asset allocator can kind of yell at management, it should be something that is almost obviously correct and simply requires light shine on it. So in my mind, smaller cap stuff, it's more it's more uh, promising uh, and also simpler stuff. Here, my short answer is, what is he going to do? I don't know. Yeah, look, I think that's a great point. Now, Ackman has a long history of investing in food companies. Uh, he's the largest investor in Restaurant International, which is the uh, owner of Burger King and Tim Hortons right now and has done fantastically. In the past, he's invested in McDonald's. I think that one was a little shaky, but it turned out all right. And Wendy's, which was a home run. Uh, but the you know what, his playbook there was very different than what his playbook here can be. He's got experience, but the playbook's going to be different. You know, at Wendy's, he went and bought Wendy's and said, "Hey, spin off Tim Hortons, which they owned at the time." They spun off Tim Hortons, and it's kind of funny because at Burger King, he had them buy Tim Hortons. But you know, he went to McDonald's and he said, "Spin off all your excess real estate and increase franchising." Chipotle doesn't own any real estate, and they don't franchise currently. So both of those are kind of out. He could push Chipotle to start franchising, but 
if you did that in the wake of all the operational complexity they're going through, it seems like a little too much to say, hey, recover from food poisoning and start this hugely complex franchising business. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, if you look at the kind of very best people uh, in the world at uh, food, uh, 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 3G, yep. uh, that, you know, they are willing to do activists uh, and, uh, and they're willing to do uh, unsolicited bids, uh, even ones that Buffett uh, historically has shied away from. This is not something that they've looked at so far, I believe. Uh, so, you know, you're dealing with somebody who, I don't know, it just seems like slim pickings for me in terms of obvious uh, plays. Yeah, so the, the other obvious thing that would pop out at me is uh, menu optimization is something mm-hmm. I believe he pushed at McDonald's. But here, I don't know what the menu optimization is. At McDonald's, I think he pushed their menu was too complex. Chipotle has a super simple menu. They recently added chorizo. The only thing I could think of, and I'm obviously an avid Chipotle eater, so this is why I think of it, they could add breakfast. They don't serve breakfast right now, but I've seen quotes from the CEO that says, we've looked at breakfast and we don't want to do it now because – Breakfast involves eggs, and eggs are the ultimate health hazard. And coming off a food food poisoning scare, I don't know if you want to add breakfast. It just it, it seems tough to me. Uh, they should add breakfast. At, I'll take the other side. <laughs> at some point, they should. But you know, while your customer you're trying to win over food poisoning customers, you really want to put the riskiest product that there is into eggs. Like think of about a breakfast buffet. It's generally overcooked bad eggs. That doesn't go well with Chipotle's. It's overcooked bad eggs, so you don't give them food poisoning. It doesn't go well with Chipotle's premium brand imaging. Uh, so they'll have to think about that. I, I've just always liked the uh, maximizing the use of the, the real estate yep, they're paying for. Yep. Whenever I think about paying real estate costs, I, I, and, and, and labor is relatively cheap. Eggs are very cheap right now. Uh, I look at that and think, I, I just want to be making revenue as close to 24 hours a day as possible. It, it's a good point, but you don't want to be making revenue at the expense of a brand that is already deteriorating right now. There's, there's no margin yep. uh, reputationally. Uh, the, the two places that I think Ackman could push for are, you know, the typical activist thing is cut labor, food, and marketing costs. And I think he could have some headroom here where Chipotle is still marketed for stores, is still uh, set up for stores that are doing two to two and a half million in sales per day. And given the recent drop off, they're doing more like 1.8 million. So you could cut costs there. But again, the question becomes, if you cut costs there, do you do you kind of kill any potential rebound in same store sales traffic? Uh he could push on corporate governance. A lot of people have commented on Chipotle's board is very stale. Four of their seven outside directors have been with the company for 20 years. So they've grown it from just a couple of stores to the behemoth it is today. They're probably not the right people to run it through a food scare. And uh, the CEOs are very highly compensated. They made 25 to $30 million in 2013 and 2014, $15 million-ish each in 2015. And they have co-CEOs, which is kind of not a great practice for a lot of companies. Uh, it never really works. Yeah, but you know, outside of that, it, it's just a tough bet. We mentioned this on our last podcast. The company trades at a huge multiple to earnings. Uh, analysts see it doing $18 per share in earnings in 2018, and it's trading at $440 per share today. So that's like 30x two years away earnings, and you need a turnaround to come. It's tough. Go ahead. I'll let you take it. Yeah, no. Um, you know, I, I don't have a position right now of if I... Uh, 
had to do something, I would say that actually both Twitter and Chipotle, has, I, I think there's going to be a lot of mean reversion after each of these little spikes of enthusiasm yeah. because there's not a quick, easy uh, solution that I have a high level of confidence in. Uh, I wish him well. I hope it works. Uh, but I, it's not something that I feel like I know how to own this with a high level of margin of safety and comfort that it has value uh, greater than what I'd be paying for. Uh, it's a gamble on a very specific uh, news story. And maybe it works. Yeah, I'm with you. Like Twitter, I, I, I can see the base cases. The company probably sells to someone for a yeah. decent premium. Here, you know, it's just tough for me to justify this. And the other thing is, you mentioned 3G. It feels like somebody needs to buy Chipotle, take them private, and turn them around. But nobody can buy them and pay anywhere close to today's price to, take, to turn them around. So they, they're, it feels like Ackman's kind of stuck here. But, hey, he, he's been a historically very successful investor, and uh, we will see how this plays out. You want the last word? I have nothing to add. All right, great. So that's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder. Uh, if you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audio Boom. Disclosure, none for me. And Chris, I think you might be long a little LinkedIn. Oh, uh, a little LinkedIn. A yes. little LinkedIn. Okay, so that's it for today. And we will talk to you guys next week.